Did you hear what Drew said? Come with me, let's embrace the unbraceable. That is the kind of life that Jesus is inviting us into. He's invited Drew and he invites us into God's story. Taking all we are and all we are not, asking us to live our lives as him. Inviting us to leave our world and enter someone else's world so that God's story is embraced as their own. Because Jesus Over the last seven weeks, we have been unpacking a section of the greatest sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5 through 7. And we are focusing on a section we have called the Beatitudes. I found an interesting writer, Kurt Vonnegut, observed this about those who call themselves Christians. He said this. He said, for some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes But often with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. And of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon. Give me a break. That's a harsh but very fair point that Kurt Vonnegut makes. It's fair because what Jesus is calling to calling us to is an upside-down reality. It's countercultural, not just to our societal reality, but also what has been expressed in our religious subculture. And these statements that we call the Beatitudes, we've been walking through them. As you can see on the graph, we started with this understanding that we are spiritual beggars with nothing to offer God. We recognize that we need to mourn our sin and live in a posture of meekness and we start climbing up this ladder where, where it is what we believe Jesus is doing. Jesus is teaching the values of the kingdom in all this. It's not, it's, not a, it's not one of political might or territorial strength, but one that lives out of a life of happiness rooted and centered in Jesus. And we keep climbing and, and we, we then recognize that we should live a life uh, of strength under control and crave only what God desires for us, hungering for what is right. And last week we unpacked what it meant to have a pure heart. We pursue this with a pure heart. And although the Beatitudes feel and look like a list that we achieve, we even wrote it like a list, this is actually an announcement. Jesus, we have to understand, in his time, was being pursued by the oppressed and by those who considered themselves enlightened. And everybody in that group was looking for hope and emancipation. So Jesus steps into the void and he gives a completely unexpected teaching. He says, there is good news for you that God is on the side of everybody who has no reason for God to be on their side. In other words, blessed are the people who have no reason to be blessed. And I think if we fail to understand this teaching, I think we fail to understand Jesus Christ. And today, we find ourselves staring at the beatitude that could be considered the culmination of all the others. It's the one that establishes Jesus' kingdom in the heart of every believer. Before we can even move beyond, before we can do anything else, we have to have this. And it's from Matthew 5, 9. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. I did not bring a Bible on your phone or whatever. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called children of God. Now before we can unpack what we mean by peacemaker, let's, let's clarify a few things. We need to clarify what Jesus means by called children of God. I mean, doesn't God consider everyone his child? Doesn't he love us all? Yes, he does. One thousand percent. Now, I know that's mathematically impossible, but I like to exaggerate. I'm a preacher, right? So what is Jesus talking about here? Does Jesus mean that those who have succeeded in peacemaking have become children of God? That because of their good work, they earn the rights of God's family? No, he's not suggesting that. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it makes it very clear. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Only when we repent, freely pledging our allegiance to Jesus Christ and following him, that's when we are the children of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. This passage isn't teaching us how to become children of God, but how to behave as a child of God. This is an announcement of what our identity is as we take on the name of Jesus. Ephesians put it like this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to watch God. We are to imitate him. So what is God like? I can tell you right off the bat that God is a peacemaker. He actively seeks to repair and restore and renew things that have been broken and separated. The word peacemaker in Matthew 5 shows up in one other place in the New Testament. It's in Colossians. And it goes like this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It pleases God to make peace. God is so committed to peace that he was willing to watch the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, be spilled in order to make peace. And in this world, the children of God, those of us who claim to follow him, should be peacemakers. Because we are uniquely situated to be peacemakers. Because our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. Our loyalties transcend boundaries. Our identity transcends ethnic barriers. Our cause transcends political divides. We are not bound by an identification with earthly tribes. We are bound by an identification with Jesus Christ. That is our identity. Drew Martin is a peacemaker. I love that story. I felt like I didn't need to preach. I bet you guys did too. Because every day he's pursuing and bringing peace, embracing everyone. A child of God announcing the rule and reign of King Jesus through word and deed. A child of God actively pursuing peace with God and the people around him. So I have to ask you, are you known for making peace? Are you? Sadly, we Christians especially those of us who call ourselves evangelicals, are known more for our judgment than for our peace. When we are known for pushing people away because 
of our attitude and tone over certain issues, sinful or otherwise, and not maintain a consistent ethic for other issues, sinful or otherwise, we have a problem. We are to be better than that because Jesus calls us to step into whatever issue, whatever issue it might be, whatever, whether we agree with it or not, and bring peace. When, we, when he calls us peacemakers, he's calling us to action, to bridge a gap, to right wrongs, to bring compassionate understanding, to point people to Jesus and not our personal convictions. He's calling us to be peace. And I know we love that word peace. We're in the season of peace, right? We have have songs out there, just give peace a chance, whatever. We tend to use it to describe an absence of anger, an absence of conflict, or especially in this upcoming holiday season, an absence of stress and noise and chaos. And although that's very much a part of peace, it is not the whole. So what is peace? Well, the first place we have to start is Jesus' peace is this word shalom. I know you're familiar with this. We've talked about it here. Shalom is the way things ought to be. Not just an absence of something, but the fullness of God's blessing in life. It's more than tension versus non-tension. It's more than fighting versus the absence of fighting. It's more than divisiveness versus peaceful unity. It's this idea of brokenness succumbing to this wholeness, the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of God in our life. When God created the earth, There was shalom. All was as it was designed to be between God and man, between man and woman, between mankind and creation. All the pieces fit together like they were supposed to with beauty and community and oneness. And then we get two chapters into the Bible and what happens? Shalom gets obliterated. Sin enters the scene. And the creation becomes broken. And for thousands of years following the brokenness, God promises and and God's people eagerly await a Messiah. A Messiah who would come and restore shalom. In fact, Aaron alluded to it. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Today is the day of hope. Right this week, we're supposed to talk about hope all week. And I love Advent because it's a beautiful reminder, not of just Jesus' first arrival but an expectation of his second arrival. And Jesus, with this quip of peacemaking, makes the announcement, you, you, who say you claim to follow me, are to be a reminder of shalom, a reminder of peace. It's a call to action, a rallying point, dare I say, a directive. Colossians 3 put it this way, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful the action that we have there is that Christ rules he's in charge he tells you what to do you don't tell you what you do God tells you Jesus tells you what you're supposed to do and first Peter it goes like this the action here whoever desires to love life and see good days let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit let him turn away from evil and do good let him seek peace and pursue it The action here is, what are you supposed to do? Seek and pursue peace. And they roll to Romans 14. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. The action that we want to see here is that you try and you try and you try 
and you try and you listen and you try to seek to understand to bring about God's peace. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, this peace, you need to obsess about peace. Obsess about it so much that when we engage our world as good news, we think about what will our neighborhood, what will our city, what will our world, what will our family look like if we pursued and we became peacemakers. Howard Snyder, who is an author and former professor, said it this way. He said, church people worry that the world might change the church. Kingdom people work to see the church change the world. I love that. That's peacemaking. Wrongs righted. Hope restored. That's what we're shooting for. Children of God being the children of God, revealing a new way of life. That's what Jesus is asking us to do, is to reveal this new way to everyone around us. And Because if you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you have him unpacking what that means. So when somebody offends you and you get all upset, what are you supposed to do? Forgive, not get back at them. When someone comes at you with violence, what do you do? You turn the other cheek. So we have problems in leadership. What are you supposed to do? We're supposed to draw upon the gift of every member, even the most humble. No, everybody gets to play in God's kingdom. If you, you know, what about money? You know what he says to do with your money? Give it away. If you have relationship issues? He says, look, they're human. You're human. You all have the spirit of God in you. There's a new way to be human. Actually, it's the old way. It's the way I created it to be. I need you to love one another. It's upside down to our culture. This is not some heroic ethic, but rather a constitution of a people completely dependent on God and one another. We need to be a community known not for what we stand against, but how we step in and like Jesus exclaim peace with our words and with our lives and with our deeds. It's all of our life. Not just this moment here now. So how do we do that? First place is we just have peace with God. Reconciliation is at the heart of God's reign. Reconciliation between God and us. And with one another through Jesus Christ. It starts there. Restoration between one another gets complicated if we don't embrace the peace that God offers us. And Jesus is that reconciliation. Jesus is our peace between God and us. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace through, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say something here. This is not new with Jesus. We've got to remember, Jesus is reminding us how God intended everything to be. It, it, God was has been doing this kind of thing since before Adam admitted his sin back in Eden with Eve. I mean, God, st- God even said it. Said he knew full well that Adam had broken the rules and was hiding. But God went ahead and asked. He said, hey, Adam, where are you? We need to have a chat. He was pursuing Adam to make peace. And then, and then he even, I know God punished Adam and Eve, but even in the midst of that punishment he handed out to Adam and Eve, he promised a future peace, which we know is Jesus. 
He said, later on, there's going to be somebody coming who's going to take care of all this, going to make things right between us. And after the punishment, the thing that always blows me away about the creation story, about Adam and Eve in the garden, is that God made clothes for them after he punished them. That's a protective piece. And this is our God. It, all throughout the story, throughout the Bible, it is, a, it is a vein of reality. Is that on and on, through pursuit, through sacrifices, through promises, through his presence, God pursues peace. God initiates peace. Even coming to Jesus, we already read this, but I'm going to read it again. Colossians 1.20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace with us from God came at a very high price. Did it not? He gave up his son who poured out his life so that we could have peace with him. So when Jesus says, be a peacemaker, it carries deep, deep meaning. It's not just some trite thing. Over the last few, last couple weeks, in the midst of this COVID reality, we had four baptisms here at first. Yeah, right? Okay, clap. I was going to have you do it. Yeah. We had, we had Jenny and Ben and Garrett and Stephen. I didn't get to see them because, you know, COVID. But I loved hearing about it in staff meetings. It was awesome. Baptism is the thing, man. It's a public declaration of people embracing Jesus, embracing God's peace in their lives. It's beautiful. You go under the water, you come back out. I love it. I used to be a youth pastor, so when kids jump up and go, whoop, whoop, it was awesome. There was always a party. I had one kid that did a high dive jump in. That was his baptism. But you know what I'm more excited about for these people? What's next? I really am. The next steps of being a child of God, being a peacemaker. Because things just got real for them. When you get baptized, that ain't it. That's just, it's your entry. And as messy as it is, as hard as it might be, as time-consuming as it is, we have a role that is bigger than ourselves. And it's in this way. People at peace bring peace to people. Peace receivers become peacemakers. Peace won't be a priority until you have it. First with God, then with others. Outward peace comes from an inward peace. So that we can do these following things. I'm going to give you a little list. So that we can listen without an agenda. James 1 says everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, right? Listen without an agenda. To be able to enter into the pain of others. To have empathy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep. With those who weep from Romans 12. We should be able to face hard and uncomfortable realities. Not glossing over the things that are real. Jeremiah 6 says, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. That's not our job. We're not to gloss over. We should be able so that we can accept that we won't always get peace. We're not always going to get peace, even if we pursue it. Romans 12 says this, it is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a pretty big statement. And then when we, when we have this outward peace that God, 
that comes from an inward peace, we're going to be able to hope in the final peace. And that's the big one, right? Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. This is what we're called to. We are to be relationship-restoring people. 100%. There's a couple caveats to peace, though. One is, pursuing peace doesn't ha- mean it will happen. I already said that, right? It just might not happen. And two, declaring peace doesn't mean it's true. The reality is someone or something is going to mess it up. And we have to fight for peace. We have to fight for it. Or more, a better way to say it maybe is we have to breathe shalom. What comes out of us needs to be hope and reconciliation and justice. Taking on God's heart for this world, for this city, for this church, for our families, for everyday people in your life, for you, for yourself, for me. Setting things right in everyday life. I mean, we must be a sign of peace. We have to point people to a reality that is around the corner in this chaos. I mean, guys, we are in the thick of it. We are in a chaotic whirlwind of a worldwide pandemic. We have virtual schooling of of an election cycle that was blah, of deteriorating race relationships, of economic stress. Those who are considered children of God must be the peace. Our world is doing this. You remember, you know those flappy guys out in front of car dealerships or whatever, you know? That's how the world feels right now. We need to be like this. This is who the children of God are. Not get caught up in this, because it's always going to change. We need to be this. We fight against getting swept up in the chaos and hold tight to the peace that passes all understanding. When the cries for the idol of normalcy show up and reign, we hold internally and externally to what Jesus has laid out as our end game. Our normal is a mindset of hopeful, no, hope-filled peace, not our circumstances. We also need to be a foretaste of peace, showing what life is like when we live under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We start pulling back the curtain to what heaven on earth should look like. That's our job as Christians. You know that, right? We give little glimpses of Jesus' attitude about peace in everyday situations. We're not just taking the mega, we're not just talking about taking on the mega systematic issues. But those moments that we might think are insignificant. When that relative at every holiday dinner who instead of enjoying the food coma, food coma and their stretchy pants, decides that they need to bring up their favorite political hobby horse, making everybody irritable, instead of giving into their, their tryptophan-fueled tirade, <laughs> ask them to go on a walk with you and just listen. Because I can tell you for sure that works because I'm that relative. Okay? I like making trouble. And it's the best thing, just, hey, Greg, let's go for a walk. I know what that means. (laughs) You know what? Send a note or a text or an email to the coworker or the friend or whoever who seems to be always prickly. And just say, hey, I wanted you to know that I appreciate you. And find that one thing that you appreciate about them. 
give a, give a Grubhub gift card to that family who is obviously stressed out to the max or constantly at each other or can't seem to pull it together. Give them a night off from thinking about how they're going to find the energy to make dinner that night. Or when your spouse or kiddo or best friend comes to you with what they feel like is a huge issue for them, don't dismiss it. Don't turn it into a teachable moment or try to fix it. Listen. Just just listen without an agenda because that moment may be the peacemaking moment for them. The point I'm trying to make with this, it's about presence. It's about allowing God's kingdom be present through you to be that good news. We also have to be an instrument of peace. Shaping God's preferred future for this planet. Because it is the fabric of who you are. You, I, I want you to have this peace in you that is so, it's so full in you that it spills out. That you become an influence. That others change their behavior because they've experienced you. A peacemaker. You push peace towards people. That's what Drew is doing right now. Please understand, this is not some static, robotic progression. This is a dynamic reality. You know, we're going to hop back and forth between all these things. It's why we are saying the Beatitudes or the whole Sermon on the Mount are crucial to understanding Jesus and living his way. We need to grasp that peacemaking is about Jesus' values, his kingdom ethics, not what our personal convictions are or our societal affiliations dictate. Our centering begins not in power, but in blessed are the people who have no reason to be blessed. That we are them. Centuries ago, there was a Catholic monk named St. Francis of Assisi. And there's this prayer that's accredited to him um, that I think is pretty transformational. I'm going to read it to you. It goes like this. Lord, and some of you may know it, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. I love this prayer. Because these words embody what God has already done for us. And it clearly articulates what it means to extend shalom into our world. So as we receive the peace of God, I'm going to ask you to commit to being the peace in the life of others. Can you do that? And that's the point of this sermon. I, I don't want you just to understand peace. I want you to live it. The peace of God is all about aligning the purpose of our lives with God's purposes for the world. And maybe we can say it like this. Happy are those who are at peace with God, for they can pursue peace with others. Before we move into our response time, I'm going to ask you to do something. 
Um, I don't know much about first. I've been here like four months, maybe three months on staff. I'm the new guy. So I get away with a lot. Or I don't. Depends. I'm going to ask you to read something with me out loud. I think it's good for us to practice things like that once in a while. And we're going to read that prayer that I just read. So if you will, read with me. It's going to be on the screen. Here we go. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So I'll end with the same question I started with. Are you known for making peace? Are you? We're going to move into our time of response. And uh, this little... This little chalice with bread and the wine is the ultimate act of peace. It's a reminder of that, that Jesus gave up his body and poured out his blood, bringing peace between God and us. What I want you to do is that we're going to pause here in a minute. I'm going to give you a few moments. And I want you to ask God to remind you of his peace. And then we'll take this together. Like for real, I want you to just pause and reflect on God. Not my message. Reflect on Jesus. This is the point of this. He is the ultimate peacemaker. And he freely gave up his body and he intentionally poured out his blood. So let's take a moment. Just pause. Pray. Be quiet. Be still. piece of bread represents the body of Christ freely given up for us let's take and eat this wine or this juice is the blood of Christ intentionally poured out for us let's take and drink Jesus we love you Thank you for making peace between us and your Father. Help us to live that way in every moment. It's your name I pray.